Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hello and welcome to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined today by Noah. Hi, y'all. And Lou. Hey, guys. Today on Punching Out, we're going to be talking about a disturbing trend that has emerged over the last year of restaurant workers, service workers in general, being um, harassed and sometimes physically attacked and assaulted by customers who are upset at the way they enforce their stores or sometimes their states. Uh, COVID mask uh, requirements. Masks have been obviously a touchy subject throughout the pandemic as um, a large chunk of the U.S. just doesn't see the need for them. This chunk is very vocal, though I I think studies have shown that it's only like 20% of the country that isn't wearing masks. Nevertheless, this has produced a a lot of incidents that we're going to talk about on today's show that um, are bad. And, uh, I don't know if before we get into like the specific details, if the two of you want to say anything on the trend. Oh yeah. Like since quarantine, you know, back last spring, um, which I think we're officially a year into this mess since then, like there's always been a very vocal segment of the population. And even though you say one in you know, 20% or people or people don't really think that they're, they, requirement or there should be a requirement to wear masks that's still one in five people so almost every other person that you encounter if you have to leave your house for whatever reason do not think that they should be wearing masks let alone are wearing masks properly um which is a huge health problem and we've seen that by the number of people who have died of this it's been something like two world war ii's that we have killed uh, just because we couldn't not go out to eat or put on a cloth thing over your nose and mouth. It's a little absurd and depressing and everything like that. So, yeah, I'd say it's a touchy subject, both on the I'm not going to wear it and the you should really wear this side. I, I think the thing that most upsets me about it. So we have a friend who was considered an essential worker, basically throughout the pandemic. He he never got locked down, never went home, nothing. And he, I mean, this is anecdotal of the highest order, right? But, you know, he was at work every single day dealing with a segment of the population that is, if there is stuff to be vocal about that is anti-government, that's the segment we're talking about. Uh, so it, it's a lot of, you know, car dealership type, small businessmen, that kind of thing. Anyway, he mentioned that while masks were construed as protecting you from getting the virus from others, everyone was more or less okay with it. Once it became clear that what masks do is protect others from getting the disease from you more than the other way around, suddenly everybody became real vocal about not wanting to wear them. So I think that the really infuriating bit and, um, for those of you who've missed the Noah gets extremely angry about things episodes, uh, this might be one of them. 
the most upsetting bit has been we always knew that people were going to sort of rules lawyer every uh, every restriction, right? If you told them you have to be six feet apart, they were going to go, well, that means six feet apart. I can't get COVID. I'm immune to COVID as long as I stay six feet apart or whatever. But the fact that they always did so in a way that protected themselves or made themselves feel better while screwing over everyone around them, that part is deeply maddening on a level that I, I, I've, I'm very cynical, especially when it comes to people in customer service situations and things like this. But I really did not think that we would get to the point where I'm beginning to think most people should be banned from going into a business until they take a mandatory course on how to treat service workers. Amen. We talked about like that 20% statistic, but it's going to be a larger portion of the people who are eating at restaurants and people who are going into stores because the mask wearers are generally also cutting down the amount that they are going out in public. They are you know, taking extra precautions in that way. So it, so if you're a service worker, you're disproportionately dealing with these types of people. And um, that has negative consequences. Um, just in the time since we like planned out this episode and are now recording it here on Sunday, there's been another story that's popped on our radar headline, CBS News, a jack-in-the-box manager stabbed after telling man to wear mask. Uh, this took place in League City, Texas. The headline really tells everything you need to know there. That's um, good headline writing. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, you know, these things escalate from just people being upset at, you know, a manager or somebody telling them to wear a mask to physical violence and just like to an uncomfortable degree. Um, but that's not alone. Uh, we've got a story about KFC worker injured and harassed by anti-maskers in California. Um, it also in Texas, there was a really ugly story of a Mexican restaurant that is still imposing a mask requirement, even as the state has lifted the legal ones um, and has had to deal with customers threatening to call ice on them, which um, is horrifying. That one's exciting because it blends both the anti-mask conspiracy theories with an extra sprinkle of super racism. Um, so that one's really cool. I like that one. I, I hate to tell you this, but a lot of the anti-mask conspiracy theories were already super racist. <laughs> this just made it explicit. But that that's part of it, right? Like, um, I, I don't mean to drag the episode off script already, but there is a reason that we've seen um, – we had uh, the the recent shootings in Atlanta, right? And there's been an increase in anti-Asian hate crimes and harassment and racism against them because the virus was fundamentally construed as something foreign. So it's not very surprising that uh, Texans are deciding to take out their rage at being asked to wear masks, which is very interesting because I've always been told that Texans are hugely pro-business and don't like to uh, interfere with private enterprise doing what it wants to do. But apparently that does not extend to being told you have to you know, follow a thing that makes you slightly uncomfortable for, as the restaurant owner said, 20 to 25 seconds. That, that's, that's too much for some people. It really is. More broadly, uh, there's a real problem when we have a federal agency who a lot of people interpret their role as just the way to punish Hispanic people. It's, um, you mm -hmm. know, 
we've seen this also like there have been stories about like during the Trump era, um, high school students chanting about ice uh, against the Hispanic teams and just real nasty stuff. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty excellent to see that when uh, Latino or Hispanic people just ask you not to kill them. Uh, the immediate response from some people in this country is, we're going to send you back over the border. Don't ask us what border, because we don't know, but, you know, <laughs> the border, capital T and B. Um, mm-hmm. the, the other thing that struck me about a lot of these stories is, you know, as you mentioned, Ryan, the, the Texas stories are, they have an extra little frisson because Greg Abbott repealed the mask mandate statewide and reopened businesses 100%. And in all of these stories, you find someone somewhere in there saying something like, I support businesses reopening, but everyone needs to mask up and we can't continue to have this thing. And it is pretty disturbing that we are at a point in American society where you have to, where you feel the need like you have to say that. Because um, it doesn't seem like they were goaded into saying it by their interviewer. Maybe they were, and that's just not in the article. But it really does seem like they felt the need to say, no, no, I'm one of the good ones. I want restaurants and shops to be open, but we have to do these common sense things so that they continue. They can continue being open. When the fact is, if we had properly closed them from day one, we wouldn't be staring down the barrel of 541,000 deaths and countless more. Uh, affected and uh, having long-term health effects from this virus. Um, There was a way to do this right, and we didn't take it. Yeah, that's absolutely true, because from the beginning, there's always been this attitude of there has to be a middle way between absolute lockdown and everyone dying, and we've definitely leaned on the everyone dying side of things. We all Um, know that the truth is always in the middle. It's somewhere in the middle. It has to be. But especially with these variants of COVID coming out. Like I, I read an article a while back. I, I do apologize. I don't remember where um, that said that the exposure rate for especially the British variant is something like immediately, if you are anywhere near somebody who's not wearing a mask, you are immediately exposed. Um, previously, in the U.S. at least, it was you had to be within six feet of somebody while not wearing a mask for longer than 15 minutes, which obviously is not a good metric because there were still literally millions of cases and not many of us can be, can like say, oh yeah, I'm around people that often. Uh, But it still happened. And now they're saying immediately. And yet we're still fighting this mask thing. And the weird part about that, too, is that you'd think there would have been fewer cases since the CDC just announced that actually three feet is fine. So how are we getting millions of people infected six feet away? That's twice as much. And, you know, it just it wasn't uh, it was still a problem. I don't understand how this is happening. I mean, I've been told that science would lead us out of this, but uh, it's uh, yeah. Yeah, it it's very frustrating. And people get hurt for trying to protect themselves. And that's, that's basically why we're recording this episode is people are being abused and harassed and assaulted uh, just for simply saying, Hey, can you do this thing for me so that I won't die? That's unreasonable. Let me get a little visceral on this, by the way, because I feel like we've been talking about workers getting harassed and abused and so on. Let's get literal about this. The KFC worker in California who was harassed by customers. She had a BB gun shot at her. Okay. 
that's what happened. It wasn't just, you know, somebody yelling abuse or not that that's a good thing or anything, but that somebody shot a projectile at her. That, that's the kind of thing. And, and this Jack in the box manager, again, stabbed several times, not just once. This is stuff that is happening right now in this country. People think this is okay to do to people. And it honestly seems like we all, I, I hate to say this because every time we're told that we all bear some responsibility, that's not actually true. It, it's always on very few people making very stupid decisions that affect the rest of us. But I really do think that there is something to the American ethic of dealing with the customer service experience that sets this country apart in that regard. There is something about the U.S. that demands the customer service, that that puts customer service workers rhetorically in a a place where you can do that to them. And this has just reified it. I, I do think people have been wanting to do this forever, but now, you know. Uh, the the precarity and the insecurity that is being enforced by the virus and by the economic consequences of it for most of us allows that to happen to a much broader degree. Yeah, uh, Lou, you had mentioned you know this these enforcements of mass mandates are you know just workers protecting themselves, and that's like very literal. Uh, there's a story in CNBC about a study uh, the Occupation with the highest risk of dying during the pandemic, at least according to this study from California, line cook. Um, they'd seen their mortality increase 60% during the, just the first seven months of the pandemic, which isn't even like the winter surge. So, you know, it's really a matter of life or death for these workers who are unfortunately already not really respected by society. It's something we talked about on our episodes about minimum wage, but are now tasked with having to enforce this uh, controversial um, thing that nevertheless is uh, necessary for their very survival. Yeah. Um, You had given us a Jacobin article in particular uh, that really highlights the the precarity of people's situations in this, and specifically when it comes to service work in, in restaurants in particular. Um, articles from Jacobin, uh, I don't know the date, but it's called Restaurant Work is Always Brutal Under the Pandemic Itself. And it goes on to tell like story after story anecdotally in both in, in a very large survey about how restaurant workers have been absolutely brutalized by this pandemic. They've lost um, wages. Some have reported like more, the majority of workers in restaurants have reported that their tips have fallen by 50%. Um, the incidence of harassment is through the roof, sexual and physical harassment, and that they don't feel safe in their workplace. Like the overwhelming majority of people in these situations don't do that on top of the fact that they don't qualify for unemployment. So they have to go to work or they die. And the reason they don't qualify for unemployment is because their wage is already too low. It's subminimum wage for most of these workers, and they rely on tips in order to make anything approaching a minimum wage. So not only are they unable to step away and say, this is not safe for me mentally, emotionally, or physically, this is way worse because I'm not even being compensated for it because I'm relying on these jerks who are preying on me to serve them. I am literally here to give them food and they're abusing that power over me. 
one person reported that she, I'm assuming it was a woman, uh, was asked to take her mask down so that the person would know how much to tip her, which is absurd and disgusting and gross and vile and all of the bad words I could think of that I could actually say on the radio. Yeah. Um, just to, um, Quote some of the statistics from this Jacobin article. Uh, It's by Alex Press. Unbelievably, for many of the report's respondents, it intensified sexual harassment. As today's report states, more than 40% of workers reported that there has been a noticeable change in the frequency of unwanted sexualized comments from customers, and just over one quarter report that they have experienced or witnessed a significant change in the frequency of such sexual harassment. So that's this is already an industry that is infamous for this sort of harassment it's uh when you're reliant on tips you are uh, vulnerable to the worst sorts of abuses from the people that you are um serving as, as you said Lou. yeah that's exactly that is that if somebody who is kind of a nerd to the, the basic how this industry works is you're going to be harassed you're going to be catcalled you're going to be touched inappropriately for them to report that there's an increase in it is mind boggling. Um, and that really does, as you said earlier, Ryan, that, that says a lot about the segment of population that is going out still. These are the people who I feel like part of them is taking advantage of the situation in which a lot of people are, are vulnerable to do this. Um, they don't really care about themselves. Uh, we've heard that, you know, we, you can see how many Facebook posts that were or screenshot and put on Twitter or whatever about, oh, yes, this person died of COVID, but at least they never wore a mask. Um, You know, this is kind of like a badge of honor. They've never given in to the pressures of acting like a decent human being and that they, they feel that their actions don't have consequences or shouldn't have consequences beyond their own behavior. And I don't know how we can get out of that. And how we can deal with that in which at least 20% of the population doesn't generally believe that the other 40% deserve to live. That's how I see it at this point. Yeah. And it's, it's especially, it's especially infuriating because we give them, you know, they're 20% of the people and we give them 80% of the air, ironically speaking, given what the virus does to your respiratory systems. Um, we, we let them talk and talk constantly about how their rights are being violated by being asked to wear a mask or by being asked to stay six feet apart or because they can't see the smiles on the cashier at the supermarket. I'm talking to you, Aubrey Huff. Um, and all of that is just constantly happening. They, they have not – I don't understand where these people get off saying ever that they've been quieted that there's been a chilling effect on their speech, that they're not being listened to, because they have literally not shut up for almost an entire year at this point. They have never not found an audience. They have never not had any problems getting in front of whatever camera they want. And they have not successfully, actually, been argued with. We don't have a response to this because to mistreat service workers is as American as apple pie, to use the cliché. It is a bedrock value in this country. Mm-hmm. It wasn't always, but it is now. The whole point, and we talked about this on the emotional labor episode we did a while back, which you should go listen to. It's great. Um, mm-hmm. But we talked about it. The whole mark 
of being the customer in the United States is that we take that service ethos of the customer is always right. We take it so literally that service workers are expected to put up with anything, even if it violates you know, local, state, federal law and the Geneva Conventions, uh, and just grin and bear it. Uh, from the KFC worker article, and this is part of the problem too, these are workers who are particularly unlikely to be protected by their management. Because, as the KFC worker says here, uh, when I, her name was Laura Amaro, by the way, when I was hired, the shift leader told me, to work here, you have to have a lot of courage because the customers will throw drinks at you and curse at you, but that should not be acceptable at a workplace, especially to the extent of getting shot and suffering bodily injury. What did the shift leader do when this person had the BB gun shot at her, told her not to call the paramedics, gave her alcohol in a first aid, and then when she essentially complained about Again, getting shot at work. I feel like I have to keep bringing this up. Maybe it'll trigger some Christmas story memories in the audience here. But the end of all of this is the shift leader retaliated by cutting her shift so she couldn't be at home with her daughter. So not only did she get injured at work for the crime of trying to enforce restaurant policy, but then for trying to complain about it, for trying to bring that up the legitimate way, quote unquote, she was retaliated against. So service workers are put in an untenable, an even more untenable situation now. And managers and corporations know they can get away with it because unemployment is rising, poverty is rising, people are more in a more precarious and more insecure state than they've ever been because we as a society, and Ryan, you uh, have said this on multiple episodes now, the only thing we do right anymore is kill people. And 20% of the population has decided that if that's what the American value is now, they're going to be as American as goddamn possible. Not sure where the FCC falls on that word. Uh, I'll have to check. <laughs> um, we focused on uh, restaurant workers for these incidents, but uh, rest assured, listener, that unfortunately, this problem is not exclusive to that industry. There's an article in The Hill detailing some of the harassment and abuse Disney World employees have been subject to during the pandemic. Um, the sorts of people who go to Disney World during a pandemic, you can figure out how we feel about them and you know what sort of assumptions we're making about them. But uh, to quote from this article, uh, in one instance, a man who was staying at one of Disney's hotels spat on a security guard after he was asked to put a mask on. The man was never identified or charged, according to the paper. Another man, Stephen Johnson, drunkenly yelled at a firefighter who was helping his injured wife after the firefighter told him to put on a mask. Johnson threatened to kill the sheriff's deputy and took the deputy's gun off his belt, according to the Sentinel. And Johnson. how much do you know that that Stephen Johnson guy has a Blue Lives Matter picture <laughs> on his social media profiles? Yeah, um, he was charged with battery, assault, resisting an officer with violence, and disorderly intoxication. Alcohol was involved, apparently. Um, <laughs> moving on from Disney World, it's also uh, impacted public transit workers. Um, there's a story from Philadelphia where SEPTA, which is that city's mass transit system, um, well, from, for most of the last year, SEPTA sustained up to an 80% drop in ridership, but incidents of harassment against employees were as high as ever. Physical assaults like spitting and throwing objects at workers barely dropped. Um, you're seeing tensions are high, which doesn't excuse any of this behavior, but it's just like the treatment that these workers are enduring is unacceptable. Absolutely. And 
yeah, there's it, it's it's sad because you can't really. There comes a point where you where you kind of run out of ways to say that this is intolerable, because the fact is, it's not like, and I'm not saying this as a call to action because I know that'll get us in trouble, um, but. You know, it's not like any of us are going into restaurants and playing customer service Avenger, you know, uh, there, there's nobody going in and preventing these things from happening. And that is what I think it would actually take, given that this is like the whole part of the ethos, like once again, and um, if you have culturally construed it as saying, if I'm the customer in an interaction, then I can do whatever I want. And this person just has to sit there and take it or stand there and take it often. Um, then nothing is going to stop me except getting yelled at. And and that's all there is to it. And since management's not going to do it, somebody else is going to have to step in and do it. And unfortunately, in this country, <laughs> we just don't do that. We're, we're very, very bad at confronting people on their bad behavior. Um, except from a distance. We're very good at lobbing missiles about it. But, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'll be honest. I see coworkers at work all the time doing the exact thing I said earlier. You know, I'm six feet away, so I can't possibly get the virus. I'm immune. And I don't say anything because that's somebody I have to see the next day. But quite frankly, I should be saying something. We should all be saying something. It's, it, it's part of how things got this bad. Well, the problem with that is that the saying something universally falls to the frontline worker. Um, there was a story in the one of the transit articles that Ryan sent us um, that pointed out that one of the incidences of abuse that a bus driver faced was from somebody who was upset that the bus driver wasn't making everybody wear masks. So while we all agree that it is a uh, community responsibility to enforce these mask mandates and hold the, each other accountable, for some reason, we know the reason, uh, this enforcement falls exclusively on frontline staff and, and workers. And the reason why Disney folk have to do that is because they're the ones that have to talk to it. It's not the CEO of Disney coming down from on high from his probably private island where he spent the entire pandemic, is my guess. That's who has to do it. And it's exhausting. As somebody who has to do that enforcement and is expected to, it's absolutely emotionally draining. And I, as somebody who has been in guest services my entire career, I have never dealt with anything as awful as enforcing masks. It's the pits. <laughs> it's just the worst. And this is shown out time and time again. There's an uh, article from Colleen Dillon Schneider, who, if you know who she is, uh, runs a company that does statistical analysis for entertainment sites. Um, one of her most popular ones recently is about how visitors expect frontline staff to do better enforcement. And that, that enforcement from frontline staff is what results in a good guest experience for, for the people visiting your, your recreation area. And I'm so glad that Colleen doesn't have to deal with all of these people who were spit and hit and kick and swear and generally call all sorts of names um, for saying, hey, can you just you know pull your mask up over your nose? That would be great, thanks. So good on her for not having to deal with that. I'm very happy for her life. 
Yeah. And and that's sort of what I that dovetails with what I was saying because the reason visitors expect that is because they don't think they should have to do it. But if it is a community responsibility, guess what? You're in the freaking community. You don't get to abdicate that responsibility because you are the one going out at that moment. It turns out that you can be more than one thing at once. You can be somebody who is, uh, I don't know, going to, as you were saying, a museum or, you know, going to a park or whatever. And also somebody who cares about everyone else around them. And I think a lot of this has been informed just by the fact that uh, we all kind of lack nerve in uh, dealing with somebody like that. And there's a reason that we do, because it's the same reason that frontline workers are afraid to enforce these mandates. And it's because you might get stabbed or shot at or hit or beaten or otherwise hurt. Because, again, something in our cultural background radiation makes it okay for some people to think that you can do this. Because I don't think any other country is reporting a rash of these things. It's not happening. I to think the degree are. that it is here. Well, to the degree that it is here. Um, I think a lot of the expression of this anger, because even under normal circumstances, if you took the population of people who are always going to go to restaurants and everything like that, and put them in a room. Like, I don't even think in normal times it would be to the degree of abuse that we see now. In the the explanation, I think that makes the most sense is that people are upset and frustrated and tired. Not not just service workers, but everybody in this. And And, you know, you're stuck at home with your kids all the time. And you may have lost your job. Uh, you probably lost your job, given how unemployment went for a while. Um, you don't have any support from the government to, to actually make ends meet. Um, there doesn't seem to be an end in sight because way back last March, people said, oh, yeah, this will be over in six weeks. We're done. You know, that's that's we just need to ride out the wave and flatten the curve. And that's all we have to do before we just said, like, eh, we're done. So people are frustrated. The problem is that instead of focusing that frustration on the people who deserve it, namely the leadership who has been very wishy-washy about actually giving directions on what should be done and providing assistance for people who are vulnerable. We're instead taking it out on the people who otherwise, without this enforcement, would be stuck between their bosses who then will say, why didn't you enforce this? And the people that are giving the money, often customers, who say, how dare you enforce this? And that's the segment of the population that we have chosen to take out all of this anger on. That's where the problem is. Not that there is anger, but who we have taken out on. And that's not fair. Noah, you had mentioned the uh, sort of hesitancy some workers feel when being asked to enforce these rules because they know of the, uh, you know, what could happen if when they do. But um Quoting from this article in WHYY, which is uh, Philly's NPR affiliate, uh, quote, the safety risk can influence SEPTA policy. The transit agency decided it would not enforce its mask mandate using police or fines early in the pandemic after a confrontation between a bus driver and a rider who didn't want to cover his face escalated. The hazards that would come with enforcement was one factor in the decision. Quote, 
SEPTA will not have police enforcement and we will not put frontline employees in a position where they have to enforce the policy by banning rioters or issuing citations, SEPTA spokesperson Andrew Bush explained in November. So already you're seeing places that could and should be enforcing these things back off because they don't know what their cust- how their customers will respond. They will, you know, the threat of violence is so high that instead the risk gets the, the health risks get put on, you know, the employees and other riders. Yeah. It, it's the classic example of poop rolling all the way down the hill because ultimately the person who is going to end up with the charge is going to be the only person who has no choice in the interaction. I mean, this is the case all over. If, if your boss gets to sit in an office all day and they don't have to be in contact with anybody except via zoom and they can just kind of, you know, manage their time and their work from where they are, they're not really going to bother with what you have to do at your job. They're, they're not really going to care. And I think that's something that we've seen, especially revealed during the pandemic, just how American work culture has split completely. I mean, to, to a, a degree that is almost impossible to imagine how you would ever bring that in any way closer together. But it split people who actually have to do the work. It split the actual front line from the people who can do everything via a software suite, essentially. And who never have to leave an office, who can do everything from their seat and don't have to come within six feet of anybody. And I know Lou knows, I'm guessing, Ryan, that you know, and I definitely know what it's like to uh, go into a job and have to spend time around people that you're going to have to see every day and that seem not remotely interested in keeping you alive. It's pretty disheartening in terms of your job experience, and it's also pretty disheartening in terms of sort of how you end up thinking about everybody around you. Uh, because no, I don't face the same perils as SEPTA bus drivers. And by the way, uh, after years of hearing how famously dirtbag a city Philly is, somehow that particular article from that particular NPR affiliate seems a little less surprising. Um, but they were supposed to be a nicer kind of dirtbag than this. They're only supposed to beat up defenseless robots. Exactly. <laughs> Um, the only service workers that oh, you can man. Beat up the scabs. That's right. That's right. It wasn't even an. It wasn't even a scab robot. It was just like going across America. Uh, anyway, <laughs> you know, it, it's. I'm not going to lie to you. There are times when, even though I'm supposed to have the formal authority to tell somebody, put your damn mask on, cover your nose, stay six feet apart, whatever. There are times when even I'm like, I'm not sure this interaction is going to go well. I've already yelled at this person twice. Fine. They're my students. It's my job. I teach. I've already brought it up twice during this class period. If I do it a third time, this kid is going to snap. I've, I've severely had to think that this year more than once. And the fact that I have to do that with kids that I see every other day, that I've seen every other day for the whole year that know that I got sick, that know that I got sick there in the building worries me. Uh, Just to sort of put some more bleak numbers to uh, your ears here. um, Again, quoting from WHYY, 
By September, New York City transit workers had reported at least 177 instances of harassment or assault by riders who refused to wear face coverings or follow social distancing protocols, according to the New York Times. In 2020, SEPTA employees reported incidents of verbal harassment 63 times. They reported physical assaults 30 times, not including the 46 times they told officials about getting spit on and the 30 times they reported getting hit by an object. The, um, the distinction between those categories is very interesting to me, but um, all goes to say that, uh, you know, this is happening way too frequently. Is this, is this a video game? Like, are melee and ranged weapons different in real life, too? <laughs> Uh, you know what? That would almost make everything better if we were just honestly in the matrix and somebody was just like in Grand Theft Auto trying to get a high score. Okay, you already makes the metaphors like one sentence. In <laughs> That's okay. I'm fine with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Grand Theft Auto Virus City. There you go. <laughs> we have to get off this bit and um, we're going <laughs> to take a break. We're going to c- come back and talk about you know, what we do about this problem and more importantly, what we don't do. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Welcome back to Punching Out. I'm Ryan, joined still by Noah. It's me. And Lou. Hey, guys. Before we get into this last segment of the show, I want to take a moment to announce that we here at Punching Out are launching a reading group. The Reading on the Job series will focus on labor-themed books, starting with Sarah Jaffe's Work Won't Love You Back, which examines a common theme on Punching Out the ways in which workers' passion for what they do is used by employers to justify longer hours and lower pay. If you, the listener, want to get involved in our discussions of this book, you can reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter at Punching Out Whale for more information. Now, um, we spent the first 40 minutes of this show talking about uh, a spate of incidents during the pandemic of customers harassing employees at restaurants and on public transit, usually for trying to enforce that place's mask requirements. Um, This is something that really makes people angry. And um, we're going to try to, like, as we do on Punching Out, try to use this last segment as a way to find some sort of way forward, some sort of solution to this problem. But first, I think it's worth talking about um, some of the proposed solutions, which um, usually involve an escalation in the amount of police around these incidents, which... Here in Punching Out, we have reasons to be uh, skeptical of. Yes, a lot of the a lot of the calls from especially transit union workers uh, have been to make more arrests, to uh, have sort of actual, um, not necessarily carceral, but they would probably lean that way once the police department got their hands on them. Uh, consequences for these, and again, it's understandable because in many cases. These people have suffered physical violence. You know, like if I beat the crap out of you outside of your house um, and you call the cops on me, I'm liable to go to jail. And meanwhile, if you do that to a bus driver, nothing happens. So you kind of understand where, where they're coming from in demanding that, you know, something be done about this. But as we know, 
intensifying policing or looking for a solution that involves the cops first almost never ends well. And it generally ends up with a lot of people of color and a lot of dogs, for some reason, uh, dying at the hands of police unnecessarily on nebulous at best pretexts. Yeah, I want to get into some of the specifics from these articles. Uh, First is an article in ny1.com about union leaders demand harsher penalties for people who spit on New York City transit workers. Um, Quote, Singh was taken to the hospital, tested for COVID-19 and HIV, and given medication. As a result, he said he missed work without pay for five weeks. The police never caught his attacker, but even if they did, Singh said it would not have mattered. Quote, you get a ticket, you pay your, the ticket, your life goes on. What happens to the person you spit at? Questioned Singh. Um, and now uh, many people in the uh, transit worker unions are calling for um, legislation that would make these sorts of offenses punishable by a year in prison. Um, and it, similar trends are happening elsewhere. Uh, that article from Philly, we talked about, you know, there have been calls by the transit workers union there for more arrests made by cops, more police on public transit. It even happens in uh, Minnesota. There are, again, similar calls about wanting more protection from police. Uh, one thing that's noted in this article in the Star Tribune, which is the uh, daily paper in Minneapolis, is that uh, with fewer people on buses, drivers feel less safe almost because, and it's not mentioned explicitly in the story, but my, my theory is that there's this idea that these people are less likely to act out in these ways if there are more people around, more just like bystanders you know, watching for the reasons that you're less likely to be attacked in public than in a dark alley alone. Uh, but um, so having laid all that out, uh, why, why is this a bad idea? What's wrong with this impulse? Lou, do you want to take this one? Uh, it'd be really great if you could get the cops to wear the masks in the first place. Hold in one! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like, famously, some of the most aggressive perpetrators of uh, anti-mask stuff are people who are cops. All of last summer, uh, whenever you saw video footage of the uh, Black Lives Matter protests, um, you'd see maskless cops and taped over badges because... One of these things has consequences, they think, to themselves. Namely, if I do something bad, I could lose my job. But who cares if I get COVID? That's a fake thing. So the people you're asking to enforce these mandates don't even care. And there was that famously that sheriff in Florida who said, if you wear a mask into the courthouse or whatever it was, the the justice hall probably, then you will get arrested or fined. So they do not care if you wear a mask. They don't care if you're trying to enforce your own mask mandates. They don't believe in it. They will not support you. And to be overly fair to the unions that are asking for this, it wouldn't be the first time that you ask cops to enforce laws on others that they are not willing to follow themselves, as anybody who's ever seen a state trooper drive on the highway will know. But um, there is definitely this undercurrent of you are you could not be asking the wronger people to do this. Um, 
Cops famously think they're above the law. They have been refusing vaccines left and right, even though they are some of the few people who have been uh, working during this pandemic. And I say working, beating people up and getting their willies off. But um, they're some of the few people who've actually been out, uh, been active during this whole time. And they want to be recognized as heroes, and they want to be given the authority to mow down protesters with whatever military weapons they've been given. But at the same time, they're not wearing masks, they don't want vaccines, they don't want to socially distance, and they want the right to do to be as close as possible in whatever space is possible to anybody that they feel like being. So it really doesn't seem like they would be the agents of any kind of justice in this regard. Um, and I do think it's very dangerous, especially given the history of policing in this country, which really began with saying, let's take these very violent people and get them to do uh, these people that we have recognized as being violent and get them to do violence to somebody else for us to expand that in the name of protecting service workers, a thing the police are famously bad at doing. Uh, Lou, you had talked about the protest last summer, and I'm reminded that uh on our show just a, a few weeks ago, we had Joe Philipson, a freelance photographer on, who talked about covering a Black Lives Matter protest in L.A. and the way he felt that the cops were weaponizing COVID against those he, he they arrested, including uh, Joe himself, uh, not wearing masks indoors around the people they had arrested. Uh, there's also an article in CNN last summer uh, from last July, a headline, Oregon State Trooper Put on Leave After Defying Mask Mandate in Coffee Shop. Uh, here we have an instant, instance where this you know coffee shop employee, probably making around minimum wage, is being asked to enforce the law to a cop. There's an imbalance in power there that uh, was caught on video, and you know the cop is naturally not going to listen because why would they? You know, they've gotten this far not listening um <laughs> and it, it just strikes me that anytime you have incidents um you know this behavior that is so common and the impulse to criminalize it means you're giving a lot of discretion in enforcement uh, to the people who will be enforcing so we look at things like uh, marijuana usage in this country it's very common among all races, but the people who get arrested for marijuana are overwhelmingly black and Hispanic because that's where cops are enforcing the laws about it. Same with jaywalking. So this impulse seems like inevitably it's going to backfire and hit the vulnerable people in our population the hardest um, if we start introducing more involvement with the cops. Yeah, and that's that's something that sadly not enough people kind of recognize about how policing actually um, operates is even after all of these years of watching police brutality on television and every few weeks we have an eruption after some cop kills an unarmed black person and usually black, uh, that we still have too many people that think that cops are going to save us. How many victims of sexual assault have, do we have to ask about who actually caught their rapist uh, to, for us to understand that cops are not going to save us. They're not going to do anything. Cause the answer is the cops don't do anything unless they 
unless they accidentally do. Well, I wouldn't say they don't do anything. They're very good at uh, arresting (laughs) people who are complaining about the problem. Um, We've seen just in the last couple of weeks, there there were massive uh, vigils and rallies in uh, the UK following the murder of a woman named Sarah Everard, um, who was uh, disappeared during her walk home one night. And as these people had come together to, you know, talk about feeling unsafe, you know, as women in society, you know, cops cracked down on that protest on the basis that it was a COVID risk. And at the same time, the UK has seen massive anti-vax and anti-mask rallies in recent weeks that cops have taken a lighter touch towards, we can say. Including one that where you had people literally pulling Nazi salutes. Uh, and that happened less than 24 hours ago. And apparently the police did not feel the need to declare that a COVID risk, which leads me to ask Ryan, the most leading question of all time. Do you think that that police response, which was defended by the commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, whose name is, and I'm not making this up, Cressida Dick. <sighs> do you think that that police response may have been informed by the fact that Sarah, Sarah Everard's killer appears to have been a police officer. You know, you really can't say, you know, who can make judgments about these sorts of snap decisions and what they may or may not be informed by. He was just having a bad day. guys. That's right. It It is pretty interesting to me how cops are both supposed to be these decision machines that are like, you know, Neutral arbiters of justice. Yeah, but also scaredy cats who will jump at the first sign of anything dangerous and shoot it dead. So it it this this dichotomy that we have, and I mean in the UK it's less so because most of their police are unarmed and so on. But it is pretty incredible that now internationally we're really beginning to see in in a lot of the world people understand what the cops are. It is only in a few countries that we think of them as anything other than venal in the extreme. And I, this was something I never understood about Americans. And now I'm finally glad that more people get that. I mean, uh, you said, Ryan, they're good at arresting people who are complaining about them. They're also good at stealing. Asset forfeiture has officially passed any form of theft, quote unquote, uh, in the country. So the cops are now stealing more stuff than the people that they're arresting, which is pretty incredible it's not stealing if you're a cop though but that's the simple explanation is it like it can't be considered stealing because you're the cops just to sort of tie off this conversation about the the uk one of the um one of the responses to you know these vigils and these protests has been to uh institute more police patrols around bars late at night you know because that's going to make women feel safer which yeah, putting plain clothes this is covered. the point. Yeah. I sure hope Commissioner Dick can sleep a night after uh, those those statements on behalf of the Matt. Um, but to, to bring it full circle, you're asking people who have made it very, very clear that they think of themselves as above the law. They don't even think of themselves as enforcing the law. They think of themselves as enforcing their whims, which are exactly coterminous with the law. It's just a bunch of people who think they're Judge Dredd. 
And if that's who you're going to put in charge of making these problems go away, they're going to do it by the most violent and the least effective methods possible. And those do tend to go together because it's not just going to be a service worker getting hit on or spat on or whatever. Now it's going to be a a service worker gets spit on. And if a cop feels like on that day doing anything about it, somebody might end up dead. Yeah. Yeah, to put it exactly like that, like let's imagine what happens if you do put cops in charge of enforcing this kind of thing. Then in one case, they're going to go to the uh, Blue Lives Matter chud who is in a coffee shop harassing workers and just say, like, hey, pal, calm down. And on the other hand, he's going to pepper spray to bring it to Rochester terms, pepper spray a nine-year-old because she's having a tantrum and having a bad day. Like, that's not equitable or good and the consequences we know what they will be and we can't accept that we we as much as this is a problem as much as we understand that that there needs to be something to help people live if we insist on not doing any lockdowns if you know we insist on opening businesses there needs to be some mechanism but this is not it well, ideally, we wouldn't insist on those things. Ideally, we would be you know, putting these restrictions into law instead of leaving it up to restaurants to defend themselves and restaurant workers. But at the same time, you know, we've talked about how getting the cops involved is not the right answer either. So what do we do about this problem if having minimum wage workers enforce their own rules isn't cutting it and getting cops involved is deeply problematic? Do we have ideas for what mask enforcement might look like best possible scenario? The the best possible scenario is one that they've kind of already tried, but again, the enforcement is not so good. The only people that you can honestly convince to do this are the people who own these businesses and the CEOs and everything. And they've tried to do like, they tried to find Wegmans several times for not enforcing mask policies uh, to which Megan Wegmans basically went, meh, who cares? Megan Wegmans? Uh, <laughs> sure. That, um, that's the hidden, what, like the fourth sister? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, it's an expansive family. Uh, so the people who are actually responsible for making their workers work and insisting on making the customer always right by kowtowing to whatever their demands are, these are the people who are responsible for the situation. The business owners, the CEOs, the politicians, the leaders. They're like, I don't know how to do that because they clearly don't care about fines. I guess we could nationalize everything. There's an idea. Um, in the meantime, though, until we can get all of these petite bourgeoisie people and regular bourgeoisie people uh, to start actually, you know, giving a damn about their employees. I really do think it is. I I know that again, my bit on punching out as being the moralist here, but I, I do think that the rest of us, if you're not the frontline worker in that situation, like I think it is incumbent upon us to say something. I mean, I, I know that if you see something, say something is a, a very stupid meme at this point. And it is that for a reason, but there has to be a point at which we take seriously the fact that we have a responsibility to other people. And you don't have to be a mass cop. You don't have to be somebody who's like looking at a picture on the internet and going, I can't do or whatever to 
step up for somebody who can't defend themselves in a situation because of what their job entails. Um, I, the one thing, there is no positive here. Let me be real clear. There is no good side to any of this. And anybody who tells you that there is, is a billionaire or lying. Um, but if there is some realization that, that people are making here, that's important. Other than the fact that cops don't do crap. It's the fact that customers are wrong. Almost all the time, they are wrong because what they are demanding is an impossibility uh, as far as the standard of service goes. And this goes for every service industry. So I think the rest of us have to start really taking seriously that if you see somebody who can't defend themselves, like it, it does have to fall on the rest of us at some point. We do actually have to do this. How the heck are we supposed? And I'm asking this as, you know, people who I think have certain politics and so on, but like, how do the, how the heck do we expect people to come to better politics society to get better if we're not willing to take those steps? How? Because I don't think it happens by government mandates. I don't think it happens by laws, not ultimately relying on a government led by Joe Biden and corporations led by the likes of like Roger Goodell and uh, whichever Wegman sister it actually is. And all these other people is not going to cut it. They are not going to do this. They will not save you. We only have each other. We always only had each other. And if we can't take that seriously, then that's it. That's the nail in the coffin. Which, by the way, brings me to my suggestion, which is you can always start traveling around with a nail gun. <laughs> I would not recommend that to our listeners, but uh, your mileage may vary. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just think that, you know, if... We acknowledge that these people are deeply vulnerable because of their jobs and because of the lack of respect given to them because of their jobs. You know, it, it behooves those of us who are less vulnerable, who, you know, as fellow customers endear more respect from fellow customers than employees seem to, to, you know, speak out against people who are not wearing masks, who, you know, to create a greater stigma than there already is about not wearing masks. And in the hopes that we can, if nothing else, shame these people into respecting others, not trying to endanger them through their breathing and yelling. And if we have a quick minute, there is also a solution that's in the Jackman article that you mentioned, because uh, it says in states where they've abolished the subminimum wage for tip workers, restaurant workers report half the rate of sexual harassment. If in this country you respect, and this is something we said before on this show, we said it a lot, we respect people to the degree to which they are paid. You want yeah. people to stop harassing customer service workers, pay them all like 200 bucks an hour, that'll disappear like that. That's all you need to do. Here's hoping. Uh, for this week, though, we've run out of time. I'm Ryan. I'm Noah. I'm Ram Blue. This was Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out. And remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.